How can we stay on top of the fast-changing landscape of 21st century living and learning? This is the driving question that feeds our chats here on STEMcast. Join me as I talk to teachers, students, advocates, STEM practitioners, and learning professionals. And welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Latifa Al-Khalifa. And if you haven't done so already, do hit that subscribe button so you can stay on the loop of latest episodes of this podcast. I am super excited to be joined today by someone who is no doubt a staunch learning advocate. He has his own podcast talking to professionals in this space. It is called Super Learners. He's also building a super learning app called Traverse Link. STEMcasters, let's say hello to Dom Zilstra. All right, Dominic, welcome to the STEMcast podcast. I'm very excited to have you here today. Yes, thank you, Lativa, for having me. Absolutely. So I want to start off with, you know, I, I know we're going to geek out, geek out completely about learning, which I think uh, is something you and I both love talking about. Uh, but before that, maybe if you could talk to us a little bit about your childhood, growing up, you know, uh, your early years, let's say, and then all the way up to where you are today. Right, uh, sure. So, so I grew up in, in the Netherlands, um, where I'm from. So yeah, I went to primary school there, to high school there. Uh, and I was, I was doing quite well in school, um, but I also did uh, like a lot of more adventurous things. Like I, like I did a lot of adventurous sports like uh, judo, but also like outside, um, I don't know, it's called survival in here. I don't know if it even exists in, in other countries, but you basically, uh, yeah, like swing between the trees and do stuff like that. <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, and then after I finished uh, high school, so in high school I I did like a, uh, like I chose subjects focused basically on on technology, science, uh, that kind of stuff. And then I I went to to Germany to study uh, physics. Um, but yeah, so that, that's basically where my where my university career started. So I, I guess that doesn't qualify as 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 a uh, early years anymore. Um, uh, yeah. Let me ask you, so you talked a little bit about how you know that you were interested in science and technology. Was that was there something specifically that interested you in it? Were you always interested in it? Or was there like a specific moment that you can remember from your, you know, from your childhood or a little bit you know, older that made you want to pursue this later on in life? Hmm. I don't know if there was a specific moment, but uh, so one thing is like uh, my my, our, my dad uh, always took me and my my two little brothers uh, into to nature to have a look at like birds and to identify the birds and do stuff like that. So so that was one component, I guess, which got me interested in in nature and science also a little bit. And then another thing I can remember is that I read uh, this book by by Richard Feynman quite early on. Uh, I think sure, surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. Uh, and I was, yeah, that, that was one of my favorite books as well. It probably got me more interested in, in science and physics specifically as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I can, I can totally relate. I was, I was going to ask you about books, you know, because obviously it's one of the things that you'd have to ask someone who's into <laughs> learning. And uh, you mentioned, uh, surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman, it's such a great book, such a nice book. And I love how, you know, you kind of interconnected nature with science and then eventually mm. with technology because, you know, oftentimes when you start thinking, you don't usually make the connection between, you know, nature and science and eventually the technology and 
linking all of that. So I love how you kind of brought the, you know, the outside in, if you will. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that. I think that's like very important, right? Like like science doesn't happen in in the classroom where you have a lecture. Like science is actually going out there, exploring and trying new things and finding out what works and what doesn't work, right? Absolutely, yes, one hundred percent. And I I love that spirit of you know adventurous learning, uh, the opportunity that you were able to just you know go outside and and play and swing from the trees. Like that in and of itself is you know nature's way of educating us. And so um, I love that part of it um, for you. So, you know, I, I want to start off, you know, when we start talking about learning, I want to know your definition of learning. What does learning mean to you? Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, for me, I think learning is, is, any, is anything that uh, increases our, our personal growth. So make us makes us more complete and, um, helps us tackle problems that we face in in our lives in our careers um in in a in a better way and have like a, a gain a, bro a broader perspective i guess of of what's out there uh, and basically identifying what's like the things you didn't know that you didn't know and identifying those and then trying to trying to get to know them well first identifying them get to know them and then making them like known knowns and eventually when you're a master like even unconsciously be able to to do those things. I guess that's like the learning process. Yeah, and you know, because oftentimes we hear that learning and education is just used very like synonymously, right? You know, education and learning. And I wonder if there's a, a difference between the two in, in your opinion. I think I think there's a, a huge difference. Like, uh, yeah, we have this 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 mindset in Western society that uh, learning should happen in the classroom, but often, very often, that's that's not where the real learning happens. Like real learning happens when we, yeah, as, as I said, follow our curiosity and just explore and play with things, right? And maybe break things and and have to try to put them uh, back together. Whereas um, in the classroom, it's more like a like a one way street. Like somebody tells us something, and we are supposed to absorb that and then recall it later. Um, on a test, uh, but, but, but that's not, not, not at all what learning is about. Like learning is about uh, also peer-to-peer -peer learning. So it should, should go two ways, right? And, uh, and the teacher should always be like, like a facilitator, just guiding you towards things that you can then explore and be become curious about. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of learning and probably the, the most important part of learning happening in childhood and even the rest of formal education happens happens outside of the classroom yeah yeah no i couldn't i couldn't agree more and i'm reminded by a quote by jim Rohn. he's you know like a huge motivational speaker and he said formal education will make you a living self-education will make you a fortune and you know when you start thinking about that you realize that yes you know when you do get like that formal degree you know that certificate it, it will only take you so far in life you know because you will have to continuously build on your skill sets, build on your knowledge, learn, relearn, unlearn to be able to, you know, to move forward. Um, and so, you know, I, that was a quote that kind of came up when you started talking about how, you know, education or, or learning doesn't, obviously doesn't stop at school. And there's so much beyond school uh, that, you know, school I think is just scratching the surface and they're probably not even doing it um, all that well, to be honest. Um, and I think this is why, you know, both of us are really passionate about trying to, to change that idea of, 
of you know of learning just being you know at school uh, while learning is, is is all around us. Uh, on that note, Dom, I'm I'm curious to know if if you were put in a position to you know to design and change the education system, and whether that's you know in a school setting or even like higher education, you can choose whichever one or both. What would you start changing first? Like, what would that look like for you? Wow, that's uh, that's a great question. A really interesting one. Um, so, so I've recently been inspired by uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan Chetta from from India, whom I currently also uh, working together with on like my my app and my course. Um, and he runs uh, like a Montessori uh, schools in um, in Bangalore, like the city he's living. Uh, and I think I think that idea re really resonates with me. So the idea is basically you create an environment where the child can then uh, go and explore, well, pick up things, uh, explore things that he's interested in, uh, and then explore them by by either by himself or with peers. Uh, and basically, um, the, this teacher is just there to to guide them towards what they want to explore. And then maybe when the child gets stuck, they they need some help, and the teacher can provide that but it's not like the teacher telling telling something and then um yeah the child just has to sit there passively um and absorb that information i think it's really about like triggering those wow 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 moments in the child right so the child goes here and says oh wow i can do this and that and then they actually find out they can do stuff that, it, that they didn't know that they could do right so um it will really be about designing that uh that environment uh for the child yeah yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. You know, I co-founded a, a, co a company here, like an education company um, that's based in Bahrain. It's called Clever Play. And what we do is, you know, we, we look at education completely differently. We're trying to reimagine early childhood education. We, you know, we're very much inspired by the Montessori movement. And, and what, you, what you talked about for us basically means redefining the role of the teacher. You know, the teacher is no longer the person who's in front of the classroom dictating, uh, instructing, et cetera. And, you know, the students become like the passive learners. It's more of, um, like you said, two-way street. It's more about, you know, the, the redefining that role of the teacher, becoming a facilitator on the side, a guide, and really kind of just nudging them. But at the end of the day, like the students are, you know, um, I guess the drivers of their own learning. And that's how it should be, right? Um, yeah. So if, if, if you were able to, let's say, design a curriculum for, you, for yourself, what would right. that look like? Because, you know, when we all went to school, we had a specific set of subjects that we had to do. You know, math was uh, mandatory, science was mandatory, history, English, whatever. But, you know, we had very little choice in terms of electives, things that we actually wanted to do. And even if there were things that we wanted to do, perhaps the school didn't even offer it. So if you had to, or maybe you're toying with this idea right now, you know, just kind of creating your own curriculum, things that you are personally interested in learning about, what does it look like for you? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a great point. Like, like it's almost, you can't design one curriculum and then push that onto uh, like children or students, right? Because that, that, that basically removes the freedom and curiosity, which is so essential for learning. So yeah, I think it's really about, finding out and defining uh, your own curriculum. Um, and I think one way I have found, which works very well to do that is basically by by storytelling. Like humans learn so well from telling each other uh, stories. Um, and 
also can get other people inspired and excited by telling stories. So if a teacher um, or, or any educator online as well can tell a story about what, what they are passionate about, uh, that can inspire other students as well, not only to learn the subject, but in, inside the story, there's uh, usually a lot of lessons uh, covered. And usually we, we, we go listen to the stories and then just take out the lessons and then focus on those lessons because those are going to be on the exam, right? But even for our cognition, for our memory, it's much easier if you actually focus on the story and absorb that story and maybe retell it. And then from the story, you'll be able to, to use those principles. Um, so recall them, but also apply them um, in, in real life. And I think that's, that's something we have to miss. So I, I would construct like a curriculum of stories and then the child could, or the student could like, yeah, uh, absorb those stories and then dive deeper into whichever story they're interested in. <laughs> I'm, I'm smiling because like literally that's exactly what we did. You know, we believe very strongly wow. in storytelling. So the way that we start our quests, you know, they're not lessons, they're quests. Uh, kids go on this, you know, on this adventure, there's, you know, the, there's a map of the world and they get to like hop from different, you know, from one place to another. And we start off every single quest with a story or a mission. Um, I know that. Yeah. So uh, again, just kind of playing with the idea that, you know, it, it, can, it should be fun um, and it should be memorable, et cetera. So let's talk a little bit about how you got more involved in learning. So now you, you know, you thought, okay, well, maybe this is something that I'm, I'm curious about. Let me start, you know, a super learning app. How did that come about? Like, what was the inspiration point behind that? And, uh, um, and what are you trying to build at the moment? Yeah. So, so the real, um, catalyst there was uh, when I met my my girlfriend my partner she's uh, she's Chinese and that was about uh, four or five years ago um, and uh, so I wanted to learn Chinese at some point so I, I tried to to learn with some of the apps and courses that are out there um, online but like like none of them really worked and I mean I had I had learned different languages before right and I had learned like German and Portuguese uh, so I thought, well, this should be easy, but it just wasn't like, like it didn't stick and it, I couldn't even try to get like an, like an entry point. Like I couldn't read those characters. They remained just abstract and I couldn't pronounce the words. Um, so then I, I stepped back and I realized like, like those courses, they are, they're trying to teach me Chinese, but it didn't teach me how to learn Chinese. So then I basically thought I have to come up with a process on how, how to, how to learn. So learning how to learn. And that's uh, so that that's that took me quite a while, obviously, to come up with, with this process. So I, I read up on some techniques, like um, yeah, like we said before, storytelling, but also like visualizing stuff and, um, in your mind, um, and then also for for memorization uh, techniques that we have, like like spaced repetition and active recall. So um, basically, rather than passively rereading, we we force our mind to actually think about a question and then actively uh, retrieve that information. And then we repeat that um, over time at, at increasing intervals. Um, so those were like the, the techniques that I came up with and then got working for me in my Chinese uh, studying process. So, so I basically created a visual story for like over 2000 Chinese characters now. And that, that way I could actually remember them. And that was so powerful that I thought, well, 
I, I want to make this method available to, to others. Um, and I also discovered I could use this method to learn different stuff. Like I, I learned some programming languages with it as well, as well as books and articles that I read. Um, so th then I started building this app, which basically took those principles and, uh, and packaged them in a way so that anybody could, uh, could pick them up in a, yeah, like a, a playful way uh, again and, and get, get started learning uh, yeah, based on active scientific learning techniques. It's so interesting that it started with a pain point, right? And it's like yeah. a real personal pain point that you went through it because oftentimes, you know, we hear that, yes, you know, you have to learn and, you know, learning is important and all that stuff, which I totally agree with. But sometimes what you don't hear is that, you know, the learning process is frustrating, mm. <laughs> right? Uh, you yeah. get stuck on a few things and you're like, oh my God, am I even getting it? Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that maybe you went through something similar in your experience learning Chinese and you said, okay, you know what, there might, there has to be a better way for me to, to learn this. And you kind of yeah. followed your own curiosities. Um, so what, what tips would you be able to share with our listeners today and, and for myself as well, you know, like how, how can we learn better, whether it's, you know, from, from reading, you know, physical books or, you know, uh, Kindle books or, uh, podcasts, whatever it may be, like what, what tips would you be able to share with us today? Um, yeah, so basically I, I came up with like this, this four-step process. So basically when we, um, when we want to learn a, a particular uh, topic or skill, uh, the first step is to, to build like a, I call it like a, no a knowledge tree, like Elon Musk also talks about it, like we, st we should structure uh, knowledge in a tree right so we do it just just by going out and see it and exploring as you say that the books that are out there maybe youtube videos uh, online courses that you see and as, as you absorb this content you will start to identify like some recurring key principles and th those are like the, the the trunk of the tree so if you imagine this tree going out th those are at the trunk and then uh as you as you read deeper you will identify oh then this, this tree branches out in like maybe three or four main different directions. And in each of those directions branches out further. And then it's kind of up to you, right? Which, which of those directions do you go in and which, which rabbit hole, uh, like what do you want to dive deeper into? And, and so that's, that's the first step is like building this, this knowledge tree for yourself of a certain uh, topic um, and, and drawing that in, in like a, a visual way, which really helps. And then um, the next step is basically building that, that deeper understanding. So uh, the way uh, I have come up with that is, is basically, also again, back to uh, Richard Feynman, who came up with the, the Feynman technique, which is basically learning, learning by teaching. So you try to uh, teach what you are learning to somebody who doesn't know anything about it. He's using the example of like a 12-year-old um, in, in his method. Um, so you basically explain it in, in really simple words and you try to uh, ask very, very basic questions uh, and then, yeah, um, answer, those, answer those in your own words. And that forces you to actually think about the, the basic principles again, like really what's going on, because you cannot use any jargon or any technical terms. You, you have to think about what does it actually mean, mean, like not what it's called, but what does it mean? Um, and then the, the next step after that is we actually move to, to memorization, right? So people have to say memorization is useless in the internet age. I can Google anything uh, and I know the answer in 10 seconds, right? But that's, that's not really how it works because in order to apply something, it needs to be in your brain. Um, 
And the second reason is very important is the, the creative process is actually the same as the memorization process. So we use the same region in our brain uh, to, to uh, recall a certain story as when we try to imagine a new scenario based on this alt information. So it's the exact same process. So that's why we need to, uh, to memorize things, have it in, in like at the front of our brain in order to become creative and explore new things of an area. Um, and again, the way we do this is, is by, by asking questions. So we can basically reuse the questions from a previous step, right? And then add to them. And then as I, as I explained before, we can um, ask ourselves those questions at increasing time intervals. So this is called spaced repetition. Um, so we ask these questions, then maybe we still know it the next day, but the day after we might've forgotten it. So we have to retrigger our brain to know it again. And if, if we do this like six times, so maybe after one day, after one week, after two weeks, after a month, uh, after three months, et cetera. And if you do this six times, it's basically um, so, so stuck in our mind that we, that we can basically remember it for life, right? So it's an extremely effective method to, to memorize something very quickly. Um, and then the, the final step, uh, as I said, is, is like application, right? Which is like the end goal of, of learning any, any skill, um, yeah, is applying it um, in, in real life. And again, for this to, to be able to do, to do this, uh, it has to become almost um, like instinctively, unconsciously, we have to really uh, absorb this skill. And we can only absorb this skill by practicing a lot and by first doing it manually, right? That's why we need to memorize it manually first. And then if we do it enough times, it will become unconscious. Like, uh, like if you learn how to write, we first need to remember the principles of how to write well, like using short sentences, simple words, etc. And then if we do that enough times, we become really fluent and, and we can apply it. And I, that's like the, the end goal of all learning, uh, yeah, which is like mastery. Yeah. Um, you know, as you were talking, uh, like something came to mind, you know, a, a few years ago, or more than a few years ago now, <laughs> um, when I, you know, when I graduated uh, university or even during university, um, I used to do exactly the spaced repetitions, right? So like, you know, in preparation for exams, et cetera, like there were things that I had to, you know, memorize. And so what would end up happening is, you know, is I would try to memorize them in chunks. Um, and then I would always revisit them a day later, two days later, et cetera, until the exam. But then Dom, what happens is by the time I leave the exam hall, I feel as though the information is just evaporating from my brain. <laughs> I don't know if you've had that experience. And so my question is, how frequent do we have to keep that space memorization going, going on for, for you know, the, the information to be retained in the long-term memory and you know, move from the short-term to the long-term? Yeah, yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting question. I think what usually happens like with the, the time between when we start studying and with our exam that we will have time for maybe like, three or four four repetitions so as i said like the, the repetition intervals ideally it's it's something like this so like first one after one day then the next one after uh five days then 10 days um then something like three weeks then two months um but i mean so the, the two months well we'll, we'll never get there right because the exam is usually less than two months away um but the, the, that that's the crucial one because after that you have two months uh, six months and then then maybe again after after two or three years so you only need three more 
very spaced out repetitions after that to consolidate it, to, to remember it for life rather than just for the exam period. But, but we don't, don't do those repetitions because the forcing function of the exam is no longer there, right? So that's why we forget eventually. Mm, that is very interesting. I was taking notes this whole time. And um, <laughs> another thing that you mentioned that was very interesting was, let me see. Uh, teaching what you're learning to someone else. Um, I, I, read a, I read a tweet, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that said that, you know, if you were to teach something that you recently learned, it would, it would be better basically to use a different medium than the medium that you've used when you're, you know, when you're learning the thing. So let's say, you know, you're learning it from, um, from writing, it would be better to, you know, to use a different medium, maybe, you know, podcasting or just talking about it instead. What's your, what's your take on this? Yeah, def definitely. That's, that's a great idea. I think, um, yeah, like, like uh, Wes Cow, I think on Twitter also called this like state changes. So if we approach things from, from different uh, media, basically see, seeing them in different contexts uh, creates a lot more connections. So more entry points for the brain basically to get to that information. And that, that uh, once the information is better connected in the brain, that's when we remember it better and are better able to use it. So it's definitely very powerful to use uh, different, um, yeah, different mediums, uh, different contexts. And I, as you said, that, that effect is even stronger if we, if we learn something in one medium, but then we actually have to translate that to another medium. So this, this really requires a lot of brain power, right? And this interaction with the information will, uh, yeah, will create so much more like neural activity that, that the information then becomes uh, fixed in our brain very, very strongly. So I think, I think that's a great, a great idea. Yeah. Wow, there's so many directions in which I can take this podcast because honestly, like this topic is just so, so, so interesting. Um, on the question about, you know, the different types of, of learners out there, um, you know, you'd have people mention that, you know, some are auditory, some, you know, would prefer to read, some would prefer to, et cetera, et cetera. So what would you, like, wh where do you sit on that spectrum? Like, do you think that there are, um, you know, preferred learning, um, I guess, experiences or whatever you may call it for specific people? Or um, do you see it any differently, I wonder? Um, yeah, this, this is an interesting question. So I think there's, a broad, broad range of, uh, of learning that works for anybody, right? I, like everybody loves stories. And yeah, some people will prefer to read the story. Some people will prefer to watch the story basically, but the, 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 basic, princ the basic principles are, I think the same. And then uh, for me personally, I don't like learning by watching YouTube videos, for example. So I prefer to just uh, get a transcript, which you can actually get from YouTube, which is very convenient. I only found it out recently um so i prefer to to read the transcript so i think there's this uh, little differences in which um senses we prefer but then the basic underlying principles of how we actually um absorb and process that information i think that's that's pretty similar uh, between people but this is actually something i'm i'm quite curious about and, and want to test out more because yes it's a very interesting topic yeah same i think it's just because once we actually have more insights on this, I think we'll be able to design better learning experiences that suit everyone, right? Because yeah. uh, again, you know, like uh, with school, it's very much a one size fits all kind of approach.
but if we know more about you know the different learning styles and you know who gravitates to what etc cetera, etc cetera, i think we'll be able to really uh, customize the learning experience for each and every um, individual yeah. um I, I have to say, Dom, um, when I first started out, um, you know, I was very much like a passive learner in the sense that I loved learning. Uh, you know, I loved reading books. I loved listening to podcasts. Like I used different mediums for my, for my learning. But I got to a point where like I'm not actively using the, you know, the, the, the information that I'm absorbing. Like at the, mo like at the time, you know, I, I totally am totally engulfed. I understand it, you know, and, and all that stuff. But then what happens is eventually, you know, again, it just either evaporates or I, I might recall, you know, maybe less than 50% of, of everything that I took in. And so right now what I'm trying to do is be a little more active or proactive with, with my learning. Um, and, and so it takes longer, I have to say, you know, when I'm listening to a podcast now, I actually have to stop to take notes in my own words. Yeah. Um, uh, even with reading, you know, I stop and, and I actually, at the end of the book, I progressively summarize what the book was about in my own words. And, you know, I, I, I do that to be able to, to, to help me. And I do feel like it has, you know, because specific things are, you know, are connecting in my brain more. I can recall them easier. So I'm wondering what approaches are you currently taking with your own learning? Um, yeah, so, so. As I said, I, I try to go through this this process that I described before, but then something uh, which uh, really now now that I've, I'm more active on social media, I've, I found very helpful is when I when I take those those notes, as you say, and it's write summaries and stuff like that. I I publish that on social media as well because it it benefits other people, right? And that's uh, if you can help other people with what you learn, it's basically again learning by teaching. That's that's a huge, a huge reward as well. And uh, I mean, it's natural for people to want to help other people, right? So if you can do that by our learnings, that's a huge motivation as well. And I think that's one way that the internet has made it much easier for now to be a bit more active uh, about, about our, our learning. And, and, uh, and this also, again, uh, not necessarily just summarization, but also storytelling, right? So if we can tell them the main stories that convey the point uh, that, that that's even more active and will will also get more social media engagement so it's kind of like a like a win-win if you can do that yeah no I, I, I love that point um, I love it and um, a lot of our listeners are youth um, and so you know they're either in college or you know recent graduates and are you know currently um, in, in, in their in their careers or whatever um, so perhaps maybe we can touch on how learning is a competitive advantage today? Mm. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, definitely. So, so basically, nowadays in any in any field, uh, so it doesn't matter what you're studying, but the information is is increasing at a much faster rate that we can come up with. Right, there is new research every day. There are new new companies being founded every day. So, so yeah, you cannot possibly keep up with it and still we have to or well not still because of that we have to take this uh, approach to lifelong learning so basically you cannot just learn a subject and then expect to be employed in that area for for the rest of your life earn money in that area for the rest of your life you it really your mindset has to be uh open to my to lifelong learning so it's, it's like a growth mindset that you have to uh 
pursue and and once you do that you're open to to learn new skills uh, and also importantly open to unlearn things that you learned before but which which are no longer true um, and uh, i guess it's this uh, this mindset and this ability to to learn faster which well first of all makes it makes it easier for you to to get a job right because if it's, i don't know some new programming language becomes more popular you just go out and, and learn that right and you can be employed in that position uh, but it also makes it easier for you to to discover problems that are relevant right now and maybe build your own company or maybe like create your own course or, or, or write a book or do all those kinds of things and because of the internet nowadays it's much easier to to like distribute that and uh, you can basically yeah, make make a living if you create like a good course online, right? Um, so so that's really what the this this growth mindset of lifelong learning uh, can can give you over the long term. Yeah, and 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 like you rightly pointed out, I think at the end of the day, it is a skill. It's a learnable skill. Yeah. And you know, while in Silicon Valley, you know, like the whole failing fast approaches is is kind of the end all be all, especially like for startups. You know, they kind of really push the idea that, you know, you have to fail fast, you have to go forward, you have to just, you know, make your mistakes early on. My alternative would be learn fast, right? <laughs> learn fast, learn better, as opposed to, you know, just uh, like wanting to fail. Like, I mean, you, you might fail in the process of learning, sure. You know, there will always be frustrations, but, you know, taking that learner mindset, I think is, is definitely a competitive advantage. And, and uh, Carol Dweck's mindset, the book, I mean, I, I love it so much and you uh, referenced it. And I wonder if you have any advice for people who are stuck with limiting beliefs, um, you know, a, a fixed mindset, thinking that, you know, if they're, if they're not so great at X, then they'll never be great at it. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for those people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's extremely challenging because our our, our current uh, like school environment and also some some parents um, are currently, um, yeah, like kind of instill this belief, right? Like, oh, you you you're bad at math, so maybe maybe don't try to do anything related to math, but you're not not gonna be good at it, and that's that's really a shame because that's as you said, it's it's very very uh, limiting, um, and. I don't know if you if you have this this kind of mindset. I guess you have to um, you have to somehow show show them that uh, that they can learn something new, right? So I guess the best is by giving them the the tools to to learn something new and discover something in themselves which they didn't know they they uh, they couldn't they couldn't do. But then it turns out that they actually can. Uh, so one example that I really like is. Uh, um, uh, Paper uh, Seymour, he wrote this book, Mindstorms, and that was over 40 or 50 years ago. Um, but he basically created a um, computer software where children could, uh, could mani manipulate like a little turtle. Uh, but by doing that, they, they would discover all kinds of very fundamental mathematical and, and physical principles. And children would say to themselves, oh, I'm, I'm bad at math. I, like, I, I always get like, a bad grade, right? They would find out. Oh, actually, I, I can do this, um, and that would like improve their their confidence and their ability, but also their belief about uh, being able to learn new things so much that they they went on to get like great great grades in math, right? So I think the important thing is to to 
give tools to people where they can discover things about themselves uh, and basically empower themselves to, uh, to, to to get this growth mindset. I think that's that's the most important thing you can do. Yeah, I, I, you mentioned something very important, which is empower themselves. And I think that that's what it is at the end of the day, you know, like we can give them the tools, but at the end of the day, you know, you can only motivate so far, you can only empower so far. At the end of the day, they have to be in the driver's seat and they have to like really take charge and control this um, to, to be able to move forward, motivate themselves to want to keep on learning, empower themselves to, you know, overcome challenges, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I have a few more questions, Adam, as we wrap up, but uh, I think this conversation has been absolutely phenomenal so far. Um, let's see. Some, so th this is going to be like really kind of, uh, you know, quick questions, <laughs> very like playful. Um, and so right. I'd start off with what three things you can't live without. So what are three things that you can't live without? Uh, oh, that's an interesting one. Um, things I can't live without I guess I guess I, I'm gonna go a bit abstract here so like, like uh, I guess like uh, habits is important so having uh, uh, like habits in place uh, to, to basically yeah um, go through your day efficiently if you have to don't have habits it's very different to find the direction to go into so so I think that's one habits and then the other one is the obvious one is like friends, loved ones, family. You have to surround yourself with uh, with people that you that you like, and the, the social interaction is is core to our human being. So it, so I couldn't live without that, uh, and it has been challenging uh, now during COVID. Actually, um, yeah, being so isolated, uh, and then the third thing, I guess it's. Um, I guess it's probably like uh, adventure, uh, exercise, like uh, yeah, like this sense of of curiosity and exploring. Uh, so we, yeah, we can't live without adventure. Like we need to do something new every now and then. I love that. I love that. So on the on the basis of like um, you know adventure, what's the most adventurous thing that you've ever done in your life? Oof. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it's the most adventurous one, but it surely was funny like i went into the colombian jungle once uh, exploring it uh, on my own like i had a, a just an, an afternoon i thought i would go for a short walk um but then i got lost in the jungle basically and uh, in the middle of the night i i had to <laughs> call the the, um, the fire brigade and they had to get me out of there so that was surely very adventurous uh, yes. it, 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 it all ended up well um I don't know if this is something that inspires people to be adventurous, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's an example. Wow, that is quite an adventure. I'm glad I asked that, actually. <laughs> and, and what's inspiring you right now? How are you, how are you inspired? What's inspiring you? Um, so I just uh, did this uh, online cohort-based course uh, called uh, the Course Creator Fellowship. And there were just so many amazing people all like at the forefront of, of online education, how we can make it better, how we can create better um, uh, teaching and learning experiences. And that has just been a huge inspiration and uh, yeah, meeting all these people and just talking with them, all passionate about the same thing. Yes, very, very inspiring. I love it. This is a, a personal question that I, I'm personally interested in, in, in knowing the answer to, but how do you stay curious? Um, 
I think, again, this is by not allowing yourself to be too comfortable. So keep this sense of adventure. Uh, try something new every once in a while. I think maybe it also needs a bit of, of ambition, basically, to, to want to be better. And most people do have that, right? It's only like they sometimes they learn to, to suppress it. Um, just keep doing the same, same thing for, yeah, for years and years. Um, Maybe just look at a look at a child every now and again and see how how they're curious and then try to to re uh, recall refine that that curiosity as well. Yeah, you know what I started doing recently. Um, earlier on, I used to pick my books ahead of time, like the books that I intend to read ahead of time, like at the start of the month, and say, okay, like I'm gonna commit to reading these books for the month. And recently, what I started doing is I noticed that. You know, maybe the the books that I have picked for the month, you know, are, are not as interesting. They're not appealing to me. Mm. And so what I, I was like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't have to read them. You know, I can always change my mind. And so the approach that I'm taking at the moment is, what is the problem that you're currently looking for a solution for? And what book or resource can I find to be able to assist me with that? And that has been a complete game changer because now I literally think about this in terms of a question and I'm, I'm looking for answers in the form of books, in the form of podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I find it like it's one way of keeping me curious because I just felt like, you know, I can jump in, jump from one topic to the next. Um, and it, it just keeps me excited uh, about, you know, the problems I'm trying to solve. So just thought I'd share that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's great. Um, and I, another way I used to pick books is uh, like I, I I don't I won't read a book if I hear it recommended by one person. But once I get a second recommendation, then I'll I'll choose that book. And sometimes that can be years later. Sometimes it's like within a week I get two recommendations for the same book. But that's like a, that's like my decision criterion. You know, some of my favorite books of all time. I don't even like if if only I could remember the people who have like they didn't recommend it directly to me. They're probably like just sharing it, and I picked it up. And I never actually saved who this was, you know, recommended by. Mm. And when I did read the book and I was like, oh my God, like if only I could go back to that person and say, thank you. Uh, because those were some of the books that like really changed my life and uh, my life. And it's not the books that, you know, everyone's talking about. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you have a specific criterion for, you know, for choosing the books uh, that you want to read. And by the way, on the topic of books, you know, and, and I want to hear your point of view on this is, you know, early on, I used to feel extremely guilty for buying books, but not having the opportunity to read them. And like, they would just pile up and I'm like, oh my God, I, you know, I'd, I'd feel anxious. I'd feel really overwhelmed. Like, when am I going to get to this pile, right? Uh, I don't have more day, like more time in the day. And then, you know, I completely re rechanged my, you know, or my, reframed my mind basically uh, when I started understanding the topic or like basically um, I think it was Nassim Talib who started talking about like the anti-library. Mm, yeah. When I came across that term and then, you know, there were so many others started talking about the same thing. And I was like, okay, well, like now I understand like these are like treasures, you know, at the end of the day, don't feel bad because you, you can always go back and there will always be questions that you will need to look for answers for or things that, you know, uh, you might be curious about. So uh, 
what is your take on 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 the anti-library? Are you stacking up books like me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely am, and I, I love the anti-library as well. I think I like I might come from Alberto Eco, even, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I, lo I love the idea as well, and I think the same is true for finishing a book. So a lot of people will will feel guilty when they don't finish a book, but I've learned to not feel guilty about that neither. Like sometimes all you need from a book is like, well, maybe just skimming through it and getting the key ideas, or maybe just the first two chapters will tell you everything you need right now, and that's that's where you're at. And like the rest is is more advanced, and you may need that in the future, but you don't need it right now, and that's that's totally fine. So. Again, I think it comes down to to exploring your curiosity. Read what you want to read, and don't feel guilty, or don't feel like uh, obliged to to read or, or finish any book or or like your whole library, which which is impossible, right? Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I, I like you. I mean, that's the mindset that I approach it with. Um, to to wrap up, uh, Dom, uh, the last question that I wanted to ask you is usually the question that I you know close all of our podcast episodes with, which is, you know, if you had a specific mission. Um, whether in learning and education, et cetera, what would that be? Um, yeah, so I guess my, my, my mission is to give anybody the opportunity to find out what they're curious about and then explore that uh, and learn out everything they can about that uh, uh, to the extent that they can then also apply it in real life and uh, make, make a living out of that. So if I could enable that for for the majority of people in the world that that would be my my life complete basically so that's my mission i love it i had such a fun time talking to you today i really really enjoyed it so thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you thank you lativa for being here this is a so this has been really great fantastic thank you That's all we've got for you for this episode. If you loved today's episode or know someone who could use its inspiration, please share it with them. Likewise, I'd love to hear how we may make this podcast work better for you by leaving a review before you go. Make it your mission to spread STEM vibes, and we wish you an enjoyable and amazing day ahead, and we'll see you in the next episode.